that don't know she has. All right, man, this is kind of cool. Sorry for the little delay between videos, gang, but hey, that's life and I've been busy. But check it out, today I get to hang out with somebody that I met in the late 90s and uh, did some shows together back then and it's none other than Mr. Vic Ruggiero, singer from the Slackers and all-around great musician and great guy. We've uh, hooked up here and there over the years and uh, yeah, it was just good to chill out a bit and talk about all kinds of stuff that we both have in common and uh, enjoy and like. So I hope you enjoy the show and um, don't forget there's a virtual tip jar under here because I don't monetize this channel. I don't put ads on it and stuff like that because I figure if anybody wants to donate anything they may as well get listed for their donation. So whether it's 25 cents, 50 cents, 5 bucks or more or whatever it is. If you uh, do a donation you'll be listed as a producer on the next show and that's how this runs. You can sell DIY style. So yeah. Enjoy the uh, show, gang. I had a great time sitting down with my guest today, and uh, yeah, I hope you like it as much as I did. All right, oh, let's get it on. Came and don't know There he is. How you doing, my brother? Hey, how's it going? Doing great, man. Good morning. Oh, yeah. Well, it's been, you know, afternoon for me over here. This is like, it's, uh, it's the evening already, but I ba I'm, I'm, I'm barely, I'm barely together. You know, this is how I am. <laughs> Man, it was funny. I was just thinking about the last time I saw you, and I realized it was when the last time we were in Germany. Yeah, I think you were playing at the Monkey Flying Monkey or something like that, and we we're oh, playing yeah, a Mon small little place across the street. Monkeys, uh, not not the monkeys um, in Hamburg, was it? Was it in Hamburg? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hold on a second. Sorry, I turned I turned the sound off for a second. I don't know how I did that. I screwed up. <laughs> I I got hold you on. loud and clear there. All right. Good. Good. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it was, was monkeys. Sorry. It was monkeys in Hamburg. Is that where it was? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And across the street for the smaller bands, we played in this <laughs> really crazy hostel type venue and people are smoking cigarettes in your face and getting all crazy and stuff. Then we went and hang out. We uh, found out you guys were across the street. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're crazy. I tell you, the, in, in Germany, it's really funny because it's, it's, and I mean, I guess I find it in a few countries in Europe, but the, the Germans, it's like once, once they want to go there, and it's like, oh, well, we can smoke in here. It's like they, sm they smoke more than anybody ever smoked in the history of smoking. They smoke more than the French, you know? <laughs> I've never seen anything like it, man. It's wild. Oh, my God. I mean, like, really, because they, they were one of the countries where they um, outlawed smoking indoors. It was one of the first, I think they were one of the first ones that did it. And uh, it was great. It was like, oh, this is great. Now I get to play the show and nobody's smoking at me. As soon as I play, as soon as one person disobeys or they decide, oh, it's, it's a smoking night. And, like everybody decides to have a cigarette. Like, even if they don't smoke, they're like, ah, okay, fine. I'll have a cigarette tonight. You know, it's funny because it reminded me, like, I mean, I, I smoke on and off. Right. And I, yeah. I, I used to like it back in the day when I smoked in bars, but then once it stopped and then to go into it again, oh. I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? I know. I know. Well, that's, that's the same, same with me. I smoked uh, for many years. I actually, I quit when I started, when I started touring because I realized it was not working for me. It was like, I couldn't, 
I had to keep a certain level of throat and lung health that was like, okay, as a singer, it's, it's a different, it's a different ball game. If I was a guitar player or just a keyboard player, you know, no problem. It's, uh, it, it's a lot easier, you know? But I often tell the guys in the band the exact same thing. I'm like, man, sometimes I wish I was playing bass there, you know, being all cool all the time and nothing mattered, you know, but I stopped yeah. opening my mouth and put out noise the next day. I know it's, it really is. It's a totally different, you know, when, when your instrument is connected to your body, it is your body, you know, everything else right, becomes, exactly. a becomes a very different thing. Hey, let me make sure my phone is, is plugged in properly. I'm seeing that like, for some reason it keeps showing up that I'm, uh, that my battery's low, but I'm, but I'm plugged into the, I'm plugged into the wall. So I should, I should be, I should have power. I mean, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, it's charging. Okay, I just wanted to make there sure that know. like my my charge my charger wasn't bad or something like that because you know. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, cheers by the way. Happy Saturday. Yeah, happy Saturday. So where yeah, you're up in Montreal. Yeah, I'm just chilling at home right now, um, you know, through this whole COVID thing and, uh, you know, putting some time into the podcast a little bit and writing some songs. I'm trying to stay busy, basically, like everybody else. You yeah. Know? Oh man, I are mean, you in? My, you're in New York right now. I'm in New York right now, and uh, I I generally don't, you know, I generally don't stay in New York. I'm I'm usually like traveling everywhere. So this is the longest stint I've been in New York in years. I mean, like literally, like this could be the longest I've been in New York since the '90s. Really? Wow. You know, the first time I met you was in the 90s. I was in another band back then, and it was one of our first shows was opening up for you guys in NDG at the uh, reggae bar out there. And uh, yeah. I remember because Marcus and my bass player at the time both had those huge Ampeg amps. One of them had yeah. the 810 speakers, and my, my boy Timmy had the 215s, and right away they looked at each other, and they just thought, Mount Monster sound, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's one of those things where I know that uh, we would always ask, you know, if we if we were start if we were getting ready to load in, uh, we would always send somebody in first and see if there was already one of those in there. Because if there's one in there, it's like I don't want to carry that up the stairs if we don't have to. You know, I mean, yeah, man, that thing's brutal. <laughs> yeah, and, and and same with us. If we showed up first, we, we you know we were always more than willing to share this stuff because it's like yeah, there's no need to have two of those on stage unless you like you know you want to be like the stones in the seventies or something. You know? it's like, <laughs> yeah. With other people carrying it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're great. They're great amps. I won't, I won't deny, but you know, one, Oh, absolutely. We used to play this show up in Montreal and it was right in that, uh, it's, it's right down there where the, uh, the, the cafe, uh, what's it called that we play there? The cafe, cafe campus. campus. Yeah. So it's right around the corner we used to play, and uh, it's a second floor venue. The swimming, yeah, yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah, I remember that was the days. Yeah, that's right. And we would go up, of course, the slack is we never planned right, and so we'd always end up there in the middle of winter at some point, you know, which is like, <laughs> we'd be up there in January, February, whatever. And uh, the load-in for that place was around the back, and it was the steel... Uh, iron That's right, the cage yeah yeah oh my god and I remember that one time 
we're loading that thing up the, the steps, you know, and it's, it's icy and it's wet and it's snow everywhere. And I'm like, motherfucker. I'm like, can, can we please never, can we just not bring this thing? I'm like, can't you use something else? And Marcus gets upstairs only to reveal to me that in fact, only one speaker of the eight speakers in the eight by 10 is working at the moment. <laughs> and I'm like, what a guy. What? I'm like, are you kidding? There's one? One out of seven is working. I said, so we get, so instead of eight, in this eight by 10 that's as big as a refrigerator, we could basically bring this amp that's as, that's as big as, as a TV set, you know? And I was like, well, bass players, bass players, they love that shit, man. <laughs> so I, I was, I literally, I remember, I remember giving him such a hard time about it and being so pissed off because it was like, you're putting my fucking life in, in your hand. You know, you know, I'm taking my life in my hands here loading this crap up a icy metal staircase in the winter, you know, and one speaker, I was like, that's it. Well, I'm not loading this thing in anymore unless you fix all of them. And I think we bought, we made a point. I think I made a point to like, you know, it's one of my few moments of like supervising anybody. Where I was like, you take those and you put the, I want to watch you put those in and make, I'm going to test it, make sure they all work. My God. That's hilarious. I'm going to remember that little lesson you taught, just taught me too on my boys. <laughs> it's funny when I think of you, Vic, I think about somebody, I mean, I don't know if everybody knows this, but I know for a fact that you're really into recording as well as being a musician. So when I think of you, I always think of you as a vintage instrument and recording guy. <laughs> oh, well, vintage in the sense that my, yeah, my instruments are not, they're, they're never new. I, I specialize in $60 guitars. That's my specialty. Uh, I'm looking at my, my guitar right here, this guy. I mean, like, I can't, I remember I bought this guitar. This is my, my Japanese, it's a Taisco. And I bought, I bought this, it was literally in a trash pile in Houston, <laughs> Texas, in um, San Antonio, Texas. And I mean, it didn't look much different than it looks. It was all beat up and, it had some big cracks in it, so I had to go and, like, you know, shugu the cracks. So I forget what I put in it. But I finally got my, uh, my guitar expert buddy to help me glue it properly, finally. And he was, like, he was like, thank God, Vic. He's like, thank God you finally glued it together because that thing was, like, split. You've been playing it split in half for years, you know? That's um, hilarious. You know, it's funny because, like, I have a lot of guitar playing friends, as you do. And, you know, a lot of them are really into nice new instruments because they're fantastic. But there's one thing that I did realize about the whole vintage instrument, and this goes for recording as well. Sometimes, I believe anyway, it's the imperfections that give it character and tone as well. Because if I take all new instruments and plug them into a modern amp, they all end up sounding perfect and the same. Definitely, definitely. No, I, old instruments, I, I am a believer always in the character of an instrument. Uh, Marcus, although, you know, we may, we may disagree about hauling, uh, you know, giant amps up the stairs. We both agree. We always say, if you have a, if you have, if an instrument has one good sound, it's, that's, that's all it should, that's all it should have. One, maybe two, if it's got like, oh, I can do this with it, I can do that with it. You don't need it to be everything. You just need it to be one or two things. And, I totally agree with that, totally, because a lot of people, even when they set up their amps, when they're thinking about different sounds, what they're doing is kind of sacrificing one sound for the other, right? Instead of going all in on one sound. 
Definitely, definitely. No, I mean, I have, I have a lot of, you know, I mean, I'm a believer in, in, uh, if I wanted to, to go a certain way, you know, like I, with this guitar, this guitar, I just always put heavy strings on it to make sure that it's, it's got that, you know, but then again, if, because it's got heavy strings and it's got pretty high action and it's got a big thick neck. Well, not, not super. Oh, yeah. thick, it's a pretty, that's hefty a fatty. Neck. Yeah. So I always play it open. I always play open chords. I have it. I have it set up to play open, basically. When I have to play a gig and I got it, like if I'm playing a rock and roll gig, and I'm playing all the chords and I'm bar chords and stuff, my hand gets so tired. It's not. It's not really a guitar that's meant for that. You know. Yeah. You don't want to play an hour and a half straight gig, right? No. I mean, if I'm gonna play, if I'm gonna play like a real punk. Like, you know, somewhere I actually have to bar the chords. Let's see, with reggae, this is a great reggae guitar. Because with reggae, you don't have to put your fingers down. You just put them kind of in the place, you know, and you... Has a little bounce in it, right? Yeah, but you don't, you know, you don't actually fret it. You just kind of rest your fingers lightly. And same thing with the pick parts. Okay, pick parts, no problem, because then it's like a bass. So then I play the pick parts. I, I use this guitar on a, a gig with Keith and Tex where I, um, I wasn't even supposed to be a guitar player on that show. I was hired to, as a keyboard player. But then we realized uh, we had two keyboard players on the gig. We always did that for these reggae shows. And on the Keith and Tex tracks, they're actually really guitar heavy. So there's only one keyboard, if any, on the, on the records. Um, but there's a lot of pick guitar. There's a Lynn, Lynn Tate was on, I think he was uh, on all, a lot of those songs. Because that was like uh, mm -hmm. Derek Harriet, and I, I forget where they recorded at. But um, so I was like, "Oh, can I be the pick player?" Because I, I love that. That's my, you know. And so Agent yeah, J, man. Agent J, and I kind of like tossed it up. Like he was like, "Yeah, but I like those pick parts." And I was like, "Well, either you want to play the the skank or or the pick." I'm like, "We can trade off for some if there's some you really want. Like if you want to be the like the lead or something." I said, but I'm totally fine to be the rhythm section pick player. That's, that's all me. That was one of the most fun gigs I ever played in my life. <laughs> I, I'm sure, absolutely. What did you get in the, to first, the keys or the uh, guitar? The chicken or the egg, the keys or the guitar, you know? Yeah, you know, I played, I played piano because it was around my house. I was, when I was a little kid, we had a piano around the house. So the piano was my first intro to instruments. But then uh, my mother always played guitar, so we had a, an acoustic guitar hanging on the wall all the time. Uh, you know, like a nylon string, uh, classical. Amazing, I love them. Yeah, I love them too. The nylon strings are beautiful. And I know a lot of guitar mm -hmm. players that, that really swear by nylon strings, it's funny. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and especially if you're just playing uh, alone at home and even skanking and stuff, I like the sound with the nylon strings. You know, it has that little snap on them. I, I really like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the guys that I tour with sometimes, this guy Simon Chartier, uh, we, did, we did a couple of records recently, and he carries around a little backpacker guitar, uh, one of those little Martin backpackers. Nylon strings. It, yeah. He practices on it constantly. That's his practice guitar everywhere he goes, and he's like, He's like, I got to tell you, if I could play nylon strings for every gig, he's like, I'd do it. Yeah. 
Man, that's wild. Hey, you know what album I heard the other day that uh, had me thinking about you? I heard The Nods. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the original Slackers. That's the uh, the original five-piece band that we started as, or whatever, four or five-piece. It's funny because I found I could really relate to that sound coming from my background, which was reggae, ska, and kind of garage stuff a lot as well, right? Yeah. And it really brought that across. And I thoroughly enjoyed it, man. Was that your first thing that you did? That, that was the way that the slack is started. So, you know, I mean, I came out of punk. Uh, so I was, in, I was in punk bands and stuff before I, I and, and blues, I love blues. So I, that, that was my entree to music, was that kind of stuff. And then when I found this, the ska and reggae scene, I thought I fit more like in the sense of a two-tone kind of a, you know, that's where I heard myself being like, oh, this is what I have mm -hmm. to give. And so I started the band kind of with that intention to be more of a, a two-tone sounding band. Uh, and obviously, right, blues is, goes right in there because, you know, that scene, we're all, it's all connected. Everything from the Yardbirds, you know, to the, the Stones and everything. We're all listening to the same music, you know. So uh, Absolutely. I mean, it all came from there. Like, uh, just the other day, I've been listening to Muddy Waters. And, uh, man, I was listening to uh, John Lee Hooker, one of the old vinyls that I have upstairs. And I was like, I hadn't listened to it a long time. Next thing you know, that led into Robert Johnson. And I, I just couldn't stop, man. I, I got on that train and I went deep, you know. Yeah. yeah. I think I think blues records are what uh, they're as they're as I, I'm as as more likely to put on a blues record almost than a than a reggae record. I feel like reggae is in my life, and it's you know it's everything I've done for the for the the past you know how many however many thirty years or something. But uh, when I look at the records that I have out, I'm looking. I see Lightning Hopkins. I see yeah, John Lee Hooker. I mean, there's an Upsetters record in there too, right up front, but. You know, I'm just as likely to listen to listen to that. That's kind of still feeding. Well, like well, another one up there is X. You know, mm. now X is one of those bands that's really tied to the roots too. You, you listen to them, and you hear straight up country music. You hear all the stuff that they listen to. It's it's very upfront, and I feel like the Slackers were like that too. We we put our influences right up right up front. You know. Well, it's interesting, like this whole topic, because I, I was talking with a friend the other day and what I realized, I've known this inside me for a long time is, yeah, I play a ton of ska and reggae, okay? But I always mm -hmm. find that the influences outside of that, like even whether it was heavy metal, blues, uh, even some classical Latino type bits, and I find mm -hmm. that with the genre of ska and reggae, whatever I listen to on the outside is so easily to put those flavors into the ska and reggae. And I think that's one of the beauties of ska and reggae, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's, that's one of those things. It's, it's fair to say that reggae, as a, as a thing of its own, is something that is constantly amalgamating other influences, even, even more so than other music types. Like, you know, blues, you don't see people covering songs from outside of the blues scene. They have their own repertoire. But reggae is always covering music. So it's, a, it's, a, it's practically a covers genre, you know? Well, absolutely, because outside of the drums and the skank, you can basically do anything, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, you once did a Bon Jovi song, Wanted Dead we or Alive, it. in a reggae version. So yeah, that's right. Is that true? Yeah, that, that's actually one of my favorites to play it. And, you know, and 
we were so uh, upset when we got, we, we were going on a, we were, um, we were supposed to be on a, oh, we, it was a heavy metal compilation. It was a hair metal compilation. And they were like, okay, they wanted bands to cover the great hits of the hair metal days. So, you know, we were like, we tried to pick all the songs that we thought, eh, hey, cool, it's, you know, maybe they'll let us do, do a, a Black Sabbath song. They're not quite hair metal, but, you know, maybe they'll let us do, uh, I don't know, we tried to pick every song, ACDC, like whatever. Uh, well, it's funny, the, the reason I knew, check this out, the reason I knew that is because I started playing a reggae version of Wanted Dead or Alive, and I was told, yeah. Vic did it. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's a pretty good song, I gotta say. They, they made a they right. Cool. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, uh, there's worse. There's way worse. You know what I mean? Well, a good song is a good song, and a good song can be done in any style, my friend. That's the truth, and that's I've always I've always thought that because that's when I write. You know, when I write songs, I don't write them always in one style. You know, okay, some songs are a reggae song. I kind of know they come out as a reggae song. But I'd say most of the songs I write are just, it's a song. Play it how you want, you know? You know. That's why it's really interesting to me, like, talking to a fellow songwriter. I mean, like, I, we're all surrounded by musicians, and a lot of people will add parts to songs and stuff like that. But somebody that actually sits down blank paper or blank mind and just have to dream up that initial song and kind of, you know, start from there. Because I find people that have to do that are a whole different breed. And it's not just about being a musician. It's about being able to kind of dream up something before even playing it. Well, it's, you know, I don't know. With songwriting, it's funny. I, I, I feel like songwriting is, uh, it's one of those things that like, it's like, it's like speaking or uh, being a good, being a good speaker or a, a speech writer or uh, anything. You, 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 look for, you look for things that are catchy. You look for something that's like, oh, that's a phrase. And, you know, what do we remember about great speakers? We remember, you know, think not what your country can do for you. Think what you can do for your country, you know? It's these like, oh, hey, that's a hook. You know, I, I'll remember that, you know? You know, old soldiers. I never thought of that. You're, you're right, though. I guess speechwriters have to have hooks too, right? Yeah, they're good talkers, you know? So, of course... What I what I remember learning was that um, I would I would get I'd get more from reading, like when it comes to songwriting, I get more inspiration from reading books or from listening, you know, watching movies, or walking around the street listening to people talk with each other. Actually, would be a big a big you know part of what come what goes into my head, and then I'd be like, oh wow, that's a cool line, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing where we can get all our, you know, some people call inspiration or whatever it is. You know, some people are in tune with what's going around them and kind of, you know, taking stuff in. Now, we talked about the nods bit. Let's talk a bit of history for a second. Now, hmm. because I'm not growing younger, I grow older. That's why <laughs> I've known you for so long, right? Yeah. Now, I knew about the nods and that's kind of the beginning of the Slackers. Now, the Slackers have recorded at least 10 albums have been on tour across the world over and over and over. Yeah. How did this all happen, man? Oof. Well, it was all very in small steps, you know, as everything, you know. We, uh, we used to make two-year uh, pacts with the band. 
that we would we would all go to a bar and we'd sit there and we'd say, okay, if you want to leave, leave now. Because if you don't leave now, you're in for the next two years. It was like like joining the army, you know? And uh, we're like, if you, you know, if, if, if you're going to ditch out mid, mid battle over here, you know, that's not helping anybody. So go home, think about it, tell us tomorrow, whatever it is. But, you know, uh, yeah, it was commitment for, for two years at a time usually. We'd make a record. We'd say, okay, we're going to make the record and we're going to tour on the record. And that's a really interesting way to hear it. I think so many bands could actually learn from that because how many bands do put out an album and then one guy realizes right away that he can't do tour life, you know, or does one week and he's like, I just can't handle this. It's not me and all that. But mm. you know, it, 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 it fucks up your whole rhythm of what you're trying to accomplish. If somebody bails at the wrong time, I, I like that. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Well, we had some guys in the band like Dave, our sax player, Dave, right? Dave has always been one of the organizational guys. He, he, he did it under duress. It was, it was not his desire. He just wanted to be a sax player in a band. Shout and, out uh, to Dave, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Poor Dave. I realized early on, I think a, lot of, a couple of us realized early on, that Dave was really smart and, and really together. And it was like, come on, Dave, you know, you can do this, man. We, we need your help. And he was like, oh, God, why, you know? But he, he would think about things like that. And he'd say, you know, we got we to gotta make the record. We're going to go in and record. It's going to take six months before it's out in the stores or whatever. It's out and we can bring it on the road. He's like, and then we got to go on the road. So we have to make a commitment. We have to say this, you know. And he had done it before. And he had seen bands fall apart that he was in. He was in that band Donkey Show when he was a kid. Oh. And I think they were, they were like a classic... You know, they did all the mistakes. They made all the mistakes that you can make. Everything from, tra you know, traveling across the Rocky Mountains in a school bus to, uh, yeah, you know, to uh, <laughs> thinking they were rock stars at 18 years old and, like, you know, getting really cocky. Like, they did the whole thing. So, um, yeah, he came into it with some experience. I don't think the, the rest of us, we'd all just been in a couple of local bands. We'd... You know, we'd just done local stuff. We A lot of us had never left New York playing. So, uh, yeah, you know, it seemed logical. I think we're a logical bunch and we're a pretty committed bunch. You know, I... Well, it, it helps. You know, I often say you can't just rely on talent alone or doing something that's good. Because if Definitely. you're in a crew that pushes, nothing happens, right? Yeah. So then, were the other members in the Slackers in the Nods as well? So, yeah, basically the nods, we, we, we had this period of a band like that. We knew we wanted to be a band, but we didn't know what we wanted to be, and we didn't know what our name was. And so Marcus and I, being the, the best slackers that we could possibly be, even before we knew it, decided we were going to change our name every week for the band, and that that's the kind of band we were going to be. And it was... <laughs> Utterly ridiculous. So we went through names and names and names, hoping one would stick. And, uh, you know, finally, I don't know how the slack is stuck, but we, we went back and we looked at that time period, even as we were figuring out the repertoire. And, and I was like, well, it's like it really was a different band. You know, I mean, you could have called it many names, but uh, the nods really seemed to be like that summed it up. It was like, OK, 
this was, I, I thought about it was like, you know, the land of Nod, you know, like from the Bible. In the, in the early part of the Bible, uh, when Adam and Eve are hanging out, uh, Cain and Abel, right? They have the, the brothers that, you know, and Cain kills Abel, mm -hmm. and he runs off to the land of Nod. And I was like, well, hey, as far as we knew, there was only Eden. I didn't know that, that anything else existed. They didn't tell us about it in the Bible. But there was this other place that existed concurrently that they never talk about. And I thought, well, that's a fitting Dude, name. I, I, I get it. I, I finally get it. I, I, yeah. I never even would have thought of that. Yeah. So that was the, the brother that ran off to the other land. And we don't know. It, it existed, but we don't talk about it. I guess it's just the, the past. So, um, and that was the nods. And of course, it really was a different, it was a different band, even though I think we play maybe two songs still. I think two or three now. We just started playing one of the songs called Sleep Outside. It's, it's one of our new right. singles because back then, back in New York in the ninth, in the eighties, actually back when I wrote that song, uh, there was a big homeless problem in the, in New York. And we all were used to the idea of, I mean, also we, we were used to the idea of screwing up our apartments, getting evicted. You know, there was, things were happening and yeah, life, you know, 30 years later, it, it seems a lot, it, just as relevant, if not more relevant than it used to. I'm much more likely to go sleep in a tent in the park now than, than I, you know, back then it was just fun, you know? So. Well, I mean, you're one of the bands that I look up to because of, you know, I, I like bands that are touring musicians. I call them lifers. And it's for sure that every person in your band is a lifer at what he does, whether, <laughs> you know, they sidestep and do other things or not, but you guys are lifers. And for, for me, that's basically who I have on my show is like, you know, the people that are doing it and, uh, you, you know, doing it for real because, you know, music, it's all part of this package. And you guys have toured basically the world and uh non-stop it's really it's encouraging for other bands and i think that being able to see other bands doing it, it's like okay yeah we're doing the right thing we're do we're doing you know what the slackers are doing man we're trying to get out there and play as much as, as possible and i gotta thank you for that for not you know showing the world or the people the hard part of that and you guys are just out doing it day in day out you know and it's it, it's really um what's the word it's inspirational it really is. And I really fucking cheers to that, man. Well, that's cool. Thanks. I mean, to us, it's the only way to stay alive. I mean, we just kept it like, you know, it's, there's only a few people that get to be a local band and live off that. Uh, and a lot of that, it, it, it gets frustrating anyway, because you start to get captured by your, your locality. You become local heroes. You know, you, you play the local bar. People don't really take you that serious after a while. It gets tough. And there are guys that do it, like New Orleans, for example, is one of the greatest places to be a local musician. Uh, New York is one of those places you used to be able to do it, and I, I think it's, it's possible, but it's not, it's not easy. So to be a musician and, and live off being a musician, you kind of have to be a shark and constant motion, constant swimming you know a absolutely and it's weird that whole effect i mean like you know you're talking about the bands that are local it's weird how you go out on the road for three or four months and come home all of a sudden you're bigger at home now too <laughs> that's a, always a weird concept to me yeah we we noticed it the first time actually that we we sold out a show in florida it was the first time we had ever sold out a place 
And we used to go down to this place in Orlando. And uh, I guess there's a good New York, Florida connection. But we came back to uh, New York and people suddenly took us more seriously. They said, wow, you know, our friends told us that they saw this great band down in Florida called the Slackers. And we thought, what? You know, so we better go back and see what's up with the Slackers now, you know. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's get to recording for a second. A long time ago, I have a buddy whose name is Steve Beauchene. I don't know if you remember Steve, but he runs Bo's Beer. And he used oh, to play yeah. in a band called Car- Caribou Slick, right? Oh, yeah. And he was talking to me before he went to see you, saying he was all excited because he was going to work with you and you were going to help him record his first album or something like that. This going back oh, that was, many uh, years. Or- that was Constable Brennan. That was the band. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. But I remember how excited he was to work with you. And then, mm. you know, I, had, I, I, I kind of knew you existed at that point because we're talking like 90s here, right? And then uh-huh. I'm like, man, he's so excited to work with this dude, Vic, you know? I, I, I better check out who, who is this guy, Vic, you know? And yeah. here we are, like in 30 years later, talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that band, that was... Wild, really, that was... Uh, they were such a cool punk band. And the thing I liked about them was similar to like, you're talking about the nods and all of our style. They really had this garagey sound and, and Steve was playing organ and he had this great old like Vafisa or Vox organ or something. Exactly. And my cousin, Sam was the singer. Oh, really? You're, you're Sam's cousin. Oh yeah, man. Oh, I love Sam. He's, he's one of the best. I mean, those guys are superstars, but basically, as I, can, as I look at it, you know, Sam, Steve, Jamie, I forget who the drummer was at the time. Uh, Daryl. Daryl. But I mean, those guys, let me tell you, wow. That, to me, those guys were superstars, and like, they just, you know, I guess they just chose not to, not to be the insane musician life that we, we chose, but... I'm always sad that they did it's, it's a big life decision, right? <laughs> a big, a, I can't fault anybody for not doing it, except for the fact that when you see people that are really talented, like Sam, for example, he's, he's exactly the kind of guy I would get mad at and be like, how dare you keep this to yourself? How can you not be in a band constantly? How can you not, you know... Hey, Sam, I got to interrupt you, Vic. I, I, this is a message for Sam. You hear what Vic said, Sam? I'm coming for you. Pick up that guitar, brother. Yeah, really, because there's, there's guys that we, you know, we've, we've been in bands with a lot of people, and we've, we've toured with a lot of different bands, and there's always a couple of guys that are the standout guys in the group, you know? And it's funny how somebody will just, like, you know, it'll be like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so, the trumpet player? He, quit, he got married, and he got a job. And I'd be like, oh, not him. Of all the guys in the band, that was the guy? I'm like, you know, they could have taken anybody, you know, the guitar player or the, you know, the bass player who just likes to show up and drink the beer in the backstage, you know, but it had to be, yeah, that guy, you know? <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely. It's funny you're, you're talking about like, you know, you can't blame somebody for not choosing that lifestyle. It goes for the same for people that are the partners of people in bands, right? Like how many oh, people oh, just like, oh, you know, <laughs> my lady, she, 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 she had to do that too, but I can't fault anybody. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a big life decision and there's a lot of sacrifice that comes with it. 
No, yeah, that's not easy. I just, I reconnected with one of my old girlfriends recently. And, uh, man, she didn't, you know, she hadn't talked to me for like decades, you know? And it wasn't, it wasn't because it ended badly. It just, I think it was just a different life, you know? But, uh, I realized in retrospect that that's what wrecked, you know, I, I guess I kind of knew it at the time too. That's what wrecked that relationship. And we just said, okay, let's throw the relationship onto the fire and let it, let it burn. You know, it, it was kind of a bummer because, you know, you don't know what, you don't know which is supposed to be more important. It's like, okay, this is my vocation. This is my, my mission in life. This is what I'm trying to do. And then at the same time, it's like, you know, you want to have your other parts of life. You want to be happy. You want to, you know, have love, have uh, some kind of stability and security. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, that's not uh, that absolutely. important. <laughs> well, that, that's it. I mean, like, you know, I'm going through it right now as we speak right now. <clears throat> and mm -hmm. uh, I can't even fault anybody for it. All I can do is say thank you for the time that you put in. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's, it's difficult. It's difficult. So how have you been keeping busy during COVID? Well, you know, at the beginning of it, it didn't seem like, you know, I took out all these books to read and I, I, I dragged out all my records. I organized my records for the first time in, in a decade. Um, I got so busy uh, with Slacker stuff. I got so busy with... Uh, trying to work out some, I, I started kind of working on some like personal stuff and uh, just do, just like really like being like attentive and being like, okay, these are the things I need to do. Here's my list. Uh, my, you know, things I put off for the past decade, records that were hiding in my hard drives or, you know, hidden on a CD somewhere in my storage space that needed to be dug out and, and mastered or something. I've been so busy that I don't, I, I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I don't have time to like eat. I, I, I gotta, you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. I can say the exact same thing. Like one thing I noticed is that, you know how you're talking about getting to those little projects that you haven't had time to, but I mean, that's exactly it. I've always been like, go, 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 forced to mm -hmm. stop. And all of a sudden I'm getting some really important shit done too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are you still doing any recording at all? Well, I, you know, it's funny. I, um, I was always kind of, I, I still record stuff. I don't um, have a studio that I work out of or anything like that. And I basically, I think at a certain point I handed over like the Slackers like recording job over to Jay because I realized that Jay was a lot more together as an engineer. He's, he's a lot more meticulous and he's, you know, I was never, I was never a good technician when it came to be like, I'm a to really, as an engineer, I'm quite a shoddy engineer, but, <laughs> Oh, I feel you, man. I feel you totally, man. <laughs> you know, it's all, it's all hot. It's all hot. And I feel like the music gets through if I can get the music through and then I give it to my mastering guy and the mastering guy makes sense of it. And I, I, I thank him every time. And I go, I can't believe that you made this sound like a record. You're, you're a magician, you know, uh, <laughs> exactly. I find it the worst thing to do is to record my own stuff because I get into this weird headspace where I'm like, okay, it doesn't have to be perfect. I like garage stuff and it doesn't matter. Some things are peeking out and some things not because I like that. 
but you know what? I mean, the general population might not be on my same wave, you know? <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's funny because I'll go back and listen to stuff. And uh, I'll hear the imperfections and things that I, that I thought were, per were perfect. And I'm like, oh, wow. The world is actually quite forgiving of, of technical errors, you know? Um, but if you leave me alone with my computer, I mean, my recording setup is literally now, it's just a computer that sits on my bed here, a little, a little uh, microphone, you know, a microphone card or whatever. It's really simple, uh, but I'll sit there and I'll pick at like, oh, no, nah, that's not, that's not right. I'll edit it or I'll redo a part to get it in between the lines so I don't blast out, you know, something. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's difficult. And, and digital is also difficult. Tape is really where you can, you can kind of go overboard and fuck up and it's forgiving. It keeps you in the zone, right? It keeps you in the zone. That's why it's a classic. That's why it works. Oh, for sure, man. So what do you think? Like I was talking, you know, Ephraim, right? From uh, Voodoo Ghost Calls? Mm, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I was he was on the last episode and we were talking about what's going to, you know, after COVID for us bands that like, like to be on the road a lot and how that's going to work out and when that's going to work out. And, you know, are there going to be big changes that come out of this? Do you have any like feelings of something that's going to be different after all this for being on the road? God. I mean, all I know is that I, when I look at, when I look at the people in America, I am always frustrated that, you know, people aren't taking this stuff seriously enough, quickly enough, because I know that my job relies on people being squashed into small spaces, sharing germs. Like, you know, the fact that I have, uh, I mean, I think about my relationship with microphones, you know. I walk into a bar and I mean, okay, nowadays I have my own microphone or whatever, but I mean, that microphone has lived in bars and it's around people and there's no telling, you know, other people probably sing into it here and there. It falls on the floor and I put my mouth against it and then I, I, I play the keyboards and then I grab the microphone and I pick something, I wound my cords up and there's a lot of germs, you know? It's wild, you know, I, I, I always go back to this old story. Um, I don't understand people that don't have their own microphones on the road. To me, you know, a lot <laughs> yeah. of places rely on, on the venue microphones. But then yeah. I remember playing a show in around 1999 and the opening band was this hardcore lesbian, we're gonna fuck the world and take over and woman power and I'm all for it, I'm on the board and everything and then she takes the microphone, puts it up her skirt, then leaves it there and I didn't have a microphone with me. What am I supposed to use after that? Yeah, yeah. I never, I never bring my own microphone. I use the microphone, I mean, we have a, we have a sound guy now and over the past, uh, I'd say in the past six years, because I think we've been using sound guys for about six years now. Uh, that's, that's the only time I've had a consistent microphone. That's my, that he uses the same one for me. Now that means for the, the 20 years that preceded that, I depend on the microphone from the club, which has been shoved up somebody's ass the night before. And you know, and penicillin. Yeah. And they probably do, you know, do that little thing where they spray, you know, if I'm lucky, they spray a little disinfectant on it. I think you're dreaming. I, I haven't seen any sound man ever clean one of those in 20 years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know that once in a while I'll get them. I used to get a microphone and I'd be like, 
okay, guys, you need to take this, change me out this microphone. This thing smells like, literally smells like the, the barroom floor, you know, like there's so much beer in this mic, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Hey, Vic, I just want to say thank you so much for hanging out. It's hard to be social in these times, and this is uh, pretty much the only way I can do it. And to talk to people yeah. that I don't get the chance to talk for, it was a complete pleasure, my friend. I have to end it now because I have a hard disc problem. I can't go over an hour at all, and I'm not sure where we're at. And all right. um, I will ask you again in the future if you want to come back anytime because, dude, it's a pleasure hanging out with you. Yeah, well, thanks for asking, man. It's nice to talk. You know, you're, uh, you're an easy guy to talk to. <laughs> Cheers, my brother. Before we right. go, is there anything you want to tell people out there about what's coming up or anything like that, or just let life be life? Uh, well, with the, the Slackers have a new single out on Pirates Press, uh, and we have a couple of others that are in the making. I think on uh, August 1st, which is coming up in a couple days, we have a live stream that the Slackers are doing. Uh, you know, I don't know what it's on, but I think it's, you know, if you look on our Facebook and Instagram, the info's all there. And I think the pie tasters are involved in that. And also our, our old buddy, Boss Harms, that's uh, DJ Boss Harmony. So it should be a really cool thing. That's, that's, that's what's coming up right now. I got a bunch of records right out on. on being, you know, so. Well, my brother, great seeing you again. I just hope you are doing well and you tell all your boys, send them my love. And I wish everybody, you know, to be doing great. And after all this is done, we'll go have that beer. Yeah, I, I can't wait to get my ass up to Montreal. Believe me, I am really, I am really missing you guys, especially in the summer. <laughs> yeah, brother. All right, peace out. All right, man. Later. Later. Oh, so I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, I'm going to get back to doing more uh, consistent episodes again. I got a few lined up already. And uh, yeah, don't forget the virtual tip jar is underneath if you want to be, uh, you know, support the channel by a minuscule donation and uh, be a producer of the next show. Uh, go ahead. That's how this works. It's all DIY and community. So stay cool, gang. A lot more stuff coming up soon. And uh, yeah, just fucking stay safe and uh, love your people. Peace.